Geekish Cast is a member of the Astro Panda Productions Network. Welcome back to Geekish Cast. I'm your host, Jeremy, and I am a cornhole addict. Joining me today is the creator of Todd and the Book of Pure Evil, Craig Wallace. What's happening, Craig? Hey there. Uh, you know, I just want to be, uh, I guess, clarify. I'm the co-creator of Todd and the Book of Pure Evil. I, uh, I share that title with uh, Charles Pico and Anthony Leo. Uh, Anthony Leo was the producer of the original short film, and Charles came on when we were developing uh, the short film into a series. So the three of us are, are credited as co-creators of the series. Well, I should have had that in my notes, but I did not. But I'll try to remember That's to reference lot. that going forward. <laughs> it's, a lot, it's a lot of names. A lot yes, of people it is. Making a TV show. Cool. So, uh, so how's things going? Uh, I know you're working on the animated show a little bit. Things uh, kind of coming along. Yeah, no, it's uh, things are great. We're in the uh, the final stretch of the animated feature. Uh, we should be doing our sound mix next month, so we're very excited about that. It's been a uh, been quite the journey. There's been lots of twists and turns getting it to this point, but uh, everybody at the animation company, Smiley Guy Studio, is uh, they're working feverishly hard to get everything in there and finished so that we can uh, get this thing out there. Uh, we're hoping to have our uh, premiere at the end of the summer and hopefully into theaters in October. Oh, fantastic. Um, you know, let's go ahead and let's let's talk a little bit about the history of Todd and the Book of Pure Evil. Um, oh, my God. Sure. Well, yeah, and we, we got to go back uh, to the early 2000s to get into this. But um, 15 years ago. Oh, it's almost like having a time machine. Oh, it totally is. Yeah, yeah it's, that's the craziest thing about working on this uh, animated feature is we had to um, – I went through all of the episodes to get character references for all the animators to be able to capture the expressions and mannerisms of our wonderful cast. And, uh, man, it was like going back in a time machine. It was so crazy just going back to all that and just being like, oh, wow, man, this is – this was such a great time doing all of the show. Well, that's pretty wild. Now, so um, you worked with somebody else on the short film that was called Todd and the Book of Pure Evil. That is true. Uh, the Todd and the Book of Pure Evil short film was co-written by myself and a amazing writer named uh, Max Reed, uh, who now co-writes with his brother Adam, and they're known as the Reeds. And uh, currently, they're working on a show um, for Amazon called Sneaky Pete. So uh, they've they've really landed someplace good, and I'm really excited for them. It's a really really great for them. That's actually fantastic. My wife loves that show. Oh, right on. Yeah. Um, so you guys made the original Todd and Book of Pure Evil back in two. I mean, when when was it? Two thousand three. It was uh, yeah, we made it in 2003. So we we wrote it in 2002. Uh, Max and I were both uh, actually Max and I and Anthony Leo, our producer, were all at this place called the Canadian Film Center up in Toronto, Canada, which is uh, a lot like the um, like uh, uh, the American Film Institute of Canada in a way. And uh, we all met up, and part of the program was to uh, make a short film. And you know, we we were you know, encouraged to find like-minded individuals. And one day as, you know, we were starting off, uh, I overheard Max talking to somebody about, uh, Lords of Chaos, which, uh, if you are versed in metal, it was the, uh, 
say fairly definitive. I'll say it's the definitive, you know, entry point for uh, black metal from a from a book perspective. Um, although people who are really into black metal think it's full of lies, so it's it's contentious. But he was mentioning this book that nobody else I think would ever have heard of, and I was like, I got to work with this guy, and uh, and it, it all started from there. Well, that's really cool. So the short film is a little bit different than the TV series. Like a few of the characters don't exist or a few are all rolled into one. But give me a little idea when you guys were first bouncing ideas off of each other, you know, kind of what was the genesis or what were, what were your inspirations for the short film? Well, I was a I was a really big fan of um, things like Young Indiana Jones and uh, Young Sherlock Holmes. Like Young Sherlock Holmes really had a big impact on me for some reason. I think like the stained glass night that came out just freaked the hell out of me, and I, I always remembered that. And uh, I really wanted to do something that was like Young Faust, like take the story of Faust, which is probably the most heavy metal thing you know story out there which is selling your soul to the devil to you know gain all all power and uh i thought hey what if faust was a heavy like a 15 year old heavy metal kid and so that was my pitch and it was like young faust and so max and i worked on the idea and uh it evolved into what then became todd in the book of pure evil yeah i've only seen that a couple times and i saw it after i saw the series so for yeah. me, it was a little it was a little jarring to go back and look at where your original idea was, but it was a, a very different time too. I mean, like we we were very new to everything, and mm-hmm. we were making it was very much meant to be like a little short film with a beginning, middle, and end. Uh, and uh, I really wanted you know Todd to really be a uh, an outsider. Mm-hmm. Uh, Capturing how I felt when I was a teenager, and um, although you know I wasn't a heavy metal kid, I was actually um, in that kind of looking back. It's kind of that horrible period of time of, of alternative music, uh, and I grew up on the the West Coast, so it was um it was all like Soundgarden, Nirvana. I was really into that before I got into the hardcore scene. I was actually a pretty late bloomer when it came to metal. It was my late twenties I really got into metal. Oh really? So Todd, yeah. So Todd was actually based on a really close friend of mine from high school who was like totally this heavy metal um denim tuxedo um white high top kid and i actually used uh, his high school photo as um reference for todd's hair for the short film i gave it to the hair person and was like the hair's gotta look exactly like this uh with the mullet and everything and so uh yeah it was a very very different kind of todd and i mean originally originally was the idea that it was this outcast kid named faust and everybody would call him faust and uh but uh yeah then then it changed into todd in the book of pure evil uh for various legal reasons that got kind of complicated um but yeah it was it was its own sort of thing like we weren't thinking about turning into a tv series or a feature film it was just this was the short that we made and uh, it wasn't until after that after we finished it all that we thought about television and how to take the concept and turn it into something that was ongoing so did somebody approach you about doing a TV series or did you guys start putting it together and then shop it around? Well, what ended up happening is, you know, we ended up having a, um, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty good response to the short film. And we were trying to think of kind of what to do next. And randomly, I bumped into a guy I knew who um, was a year ahead of us at the Canadian Film Center. And uh, he told me he had just come back from pitching a television series. And it kind of it was really weird because at that point, like I never really thought about television at all. Like television definitely wasn't the kind of golden age of television that it is now. Um, so the idea of actually pitching a television series was something I never, ever thought of. And all of a sudden, I was like, wow, that's 
a great idea. We could, you know, do an anthology series where the book of pure evil fell into a different kid's hands every week and they would get horribly dismembered and it would just be new kid every week. And by the end of it, they would die a horrible, horrible death. Um, and, uh, when we started, you know, pitching the idea for that and coming up with, you know, how that would all work, we soon realized that we really needed to have, um, a hero, somebody who would really carry us through this story and having recurring characters or else we just wouldn't really wouldn't give a shit about what happened every week and it would be very repetitive. So you're going to shoot for something a little more like the twilight zone, but that ended in bloodshed every time. No, exactly. It was kind of like a one-note Black Mirror in a way. Like it was like an after-school special that just basically did the same joke over and over and over again. Which you could argue the television series kind of did, but you know that we did have our continuing characters and they had their subplots and stuff. And that by the end of the series was kind of taking over our our episode of the week storylines. Anyhow. Yeah. Well, and you know, even Star Trek kind of did that initially. Like each week was a different feature story that the crew of the Enterprise dropped in on. Yeah, totally. And I mean, like most shows kind of start like that, like Bucky the Vampire Slayer, Slayer yep. started like that, Fringe started like that. And, you know, that's kind of the bait and switch everybody does. You start off with, you know, your really episodic storylines. As you get going along, you know, you get more into the characters and their stories really take over. Um, but now we're, we're in a really serialized age where, you know, episodic is, is really kind mm-hmm. of frowned on in this, in the, the cool television watching world oh yeah and and anthologies are like the new big thing too yeah totally so we're kind of we could have been ahead of our time yeah even ahead of the time our our time as as we were originally one of the best descriptions i have read about todd in the book of pure evil is something i I just found it in the last few days but somebody wrote that it was like buffy the vampire slayer with uh bloodshed talking dicks and dirty jokes nice yeah Yeah, i know that that's pretty close. I, yeah, th- we, I thought that was like the closest one I had found. Yeah, we we originally were pitching it as um, uh, Breakfast Club meets Evil Dead because we were huge Evil Dead and Only Darkness fans and uh, huge John Hughes fans. So we really wanted to capture that the you know the the, the light teen angst of John Hughes um, combined with the the insane cartoonish bloodshed of Evil Dead and Army of Darkness. Uh, you know, it, Buffy wasn't uh, a, a touchstone for us at all. Like none mm-hmm. of us had really the series, but um, I ended up watching it uh, because whenever I would pitch ideas to my wife. Um, who was my girlfriend at the time, she was like, oh, Buffy did that. And I'd be like, oh, what about this great idea? And she said, oh, yeah, Buffy did that too. And I was like, crap, I have to watch the show. And so I watched the show, and I loved it, but I had to stop watching it by the end of season one because I was like, I'm never going to get the show off the ground because I'll be afraid of pitching anything because yeah. Buffy or so I just backed away from it. So I, I didn't get too far in the Buffyverse, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah. No, that's all right because, you know what, I only made it for the, through the first three episodes and gave up myself. But that's okay. Uh, so you kind of ran into the Simpsons did it syndrome. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, and I think that's something that you know anybody who's coming up with a TV series, um, you know, or, or any sort of creative endeavor, you can really get trapped by that, and you can get completely paralyzed by just thinking, oh, somebody else has already done this, somebody else has already done it. But you know, you can run with it. You can run with it like. Um, the guy from Bad uh, from Mr. Robot did. He basically just remade Fight Club as a television series. Mm-hmm. Like it's Fight Club, and he even got to the point where he started using the same music in it because he was like, "Yeah, it's kind of Fight Club." Might as well just so put a just, spotlight right on it. And he just accepted it and ran with it. So there's there's a certain ballsiness in being yeah. able to do that too. Well, so I discovered um, I discovered your show on Netflix a couple years back. 
And, ah, great. And the way, okay, so the way it played on Netflix was the dirty language version. Good. And then when it came off and I bought the DVDs, the default language that played was the clean language version. So you can imagine my horror. Uh, was there a, was there an alternate track? Yeah, Which yeah, not? it had oh, alternate good. tracks. Yeah. Um, right. So when you when you initially did the show, was it the dirty language track that that was broadcast, or was it the clean language track? It depends on what time of day it was. Our broadcaster was um, a channel called Space here in Canada, which mm-hmm. is Canada version of the Sci-Fi Network in a lot of a lot of extent um, to a certain extent, uh, and they. Um, uh, when they had when they aired before, I think before 7 p.m., they had to have like a clean language track. Um, strangely, content wasn't as much of an issue, like visual content. Uh, it was mostly language, so we had to you know do our own dubs. We thought about beeping it out. We thought about doing like a little bit of a metalocalypse kind of guitar solo thing, but metalocalypse had already done that. Um, so we decided to just actually take the time to go through and redub it uh, all the all the language with something else. And uh, yeah, some of them actually turned out better than the foul, foul language. Like at one point, Atticus says uh, says you're shit out of luck in the dirty language version, mm-hmm. and clean version was ship out of dock and i was i was pretty happy with that one. that's actually so, a really good one yeah so i was pretty pretty happy with that and um, ass became hatch which is pretty cool and it just got kind of more surreal the, the cleaned up version um although i gotta say they did re-edit the uh the um cockfight episode uh for daytime and it made no sense like they, it wasn't even like any attempt to make it track at all it was just complete nonsense because everything was cut out yeah what has it been like watching it in swedish or something oh yeah totally yeah absolutely well that explains something so if you're going for something like the metal or i'm sorry the breakfast club plus you know the evil dead because i did notice in one of the early episodes where they're writing the names of victims on the board it has like craven carpenter yeah and then hughes yeah. is like the fourth name down the list and i'm like is there a horror director named hughes that i'm missing or, or is there another <laughs> reference i didn't get yeah, no, it was uh, very much trying to capture the heart of uh, of uh, John Hughes was a, was really important for us. So you know, as much as things were crazy and gory and stuff, you know, we really wanted to care care about this gang and their little uh, interactions with each other and really make it like the bref- Breakfast Club fighting evil. Sure. So as you were doing this, as you were coming up with the scripts for each season, was there ever a concept that that made it to screen that you looked at when you first came up with the thought and you're like, we can't do this. This this one has gone too far, but you still ended up using? You know, the cockfight one was something that was always always kind of uh we were always wondering how far we'd be able to get to it like it originated like when we pitched the series, Charles and I basically had like little pitch lines for for all the episodes so we would have things like todd learns to drive from the metal dudes or you know this kid has a small penis and uses the book to get a monster penis and it turns people to stone and so we just kind of started with that and then um well, our writer gary campbell who fleshed out that whole episode and, and wrote the script just went to town with it and just made it so insane and uh it was just this, this great great script and i remember sitting in in meetings with uh, our network executives who would just laugh about the script and they would just be like this the script is great i have no idea how you're going to shoot this so we would laugh and go ah, we don't either 
And, uh, it, it kind of, it never got any further than that. We just ended up shooting it and showing it to them. At one point, I think we were, we did the song and dance saying like, oh, you would never really see it. It would all be played out in shadows. Uh, but then, then the director, uh, David Winning just like full on shot the whole thing. And because it was this crazy puppet that was just nuts, uh, they just went for it, said, yeah, we'll broadcast this. That is so funny. Is there one yeah. that you guys did that you that I don't want to say you didn't like, but when you were done with it, you you kind of thought about a second time? Um, you know what's really funny is one that's kind of dogged us for a while was the gay episode, mm-hmm. and I have really mixed feelings about it because I think in a lot of ways you can look at there was some criticism of us being um being playing on homophobic tropes with it. But the spirit of it was always to be playing on teen tropes. And so it was, it was a complicated one. And, um, I have, I wouldn't say I have misgivings about it. I just worry that people misunderstood what we were going for. And especially at the ending there when, um, when our, when Simon, who is the only gay kid in school, who turns out to be the only straight kid in school, gets ripped apart. It's not that he's getting ripped apart because he's gay. He's getting ripped apart because he reminds everybody he tells how everybody, lonely they are. Lonely they are, and how different they all are. And if they could just overcome that, they would all be able to be better people. And he gets savaged by it. And that to me was like, it's either kind of the best moment and probably the most misunderstood moment of the whole series yeah. for me. Yeah, that is one that I, I we watched that again yesterday. And while it's very funny, there were a few moments where I was like, "Is that homophobic? What what am I seeing right here?" <laughs> You're in the same sort of boat. And yeah. so I think it was like. Uh, a line and i think strangely i think now uh we wouldn't have done the episode the same way i think in in a lot of ways so much of the first sin was because we were all new to making television and we were flying by the seat of our pants um so there was a lot of uh yeah just going with things but yeah i i just i worry that you know i still i still regret that people would maybe misunderstand the intent of that episode uh but on the other hand too i mean there was things where you know there was some worry from i can't remember who it was but there was a question of like do we really show todd and curtis making out and we were like yes of course we do you know like that's part of this part of this episode you know and it's like let's it's great let's celebrate that and we call back on that later on and in, in um in later episodes and we call back in, in the um the feature as well and so i don't know i hope, hope people hope people find it funny yeah i don't i don't think it <laughs> i think time time well here in the states i don't know about canada i assume it's kind of the same but like 10 years ago, gay rights were in a very, very different place than they are now. And even around the time you were doing this show, we had a president who was still doing the, well, we'll have, we'll have civil unions and this, that, and the other. But see, down here, we had a crazy vice president who kind of like just knocked open the doors. He's like, ah, we're all for gay marriage. And then everybody had to change their point of view. So, right, yeah. yeah. I don't know how. I mean, mm-hmm. it's been like way liberal than even that even our conservative government was like gay marriage is a non-issue it's happened like let's all just move on so i wish we had that here yeah it's uh it's we're we're a weird country um i like it we we we've got we're we're very very reasonable on most things yeah although we're very unreasonable about too but we tend to get all high and mighty about how we're uh especially right now you your country makes us feel pretty Pretty easy to be high and mighty and smart. Oh God! So. You, you guys heard about our new president, didn't you? Uh, it's pretty hard not to hear about that. I thought I, say, I thought we uh, kept that a secret. 
I know way more about American politics than I do Canadian poli- politics. I have to admit, I've, I spend pretty much um, pretty much all day when I'm not writing, where I'm like Googling Trump and reading Politico and listening oh, to God. Pod Save America. So it's, uh, it's just kind of crazy. Just a fucking embarrassment. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, something else. Totally oh, something else. God. Yeah. But wow. yeah, I mean, the 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 gay episode was. Uh, Mixed feelings towards the way we executed okay. that. I, we, had, we had good intentions, but I, uh, I can understand why it may have been misinterpreted, and perhaps we didn't exactly nail it. Sure. Uh, well, let me ask you this then. Um, so your season, season one had kind of a concrete begin. Well, it had a beginning and end point to it, where it definitely had a jumping off point. And, yeah. And your season two did as well. Did you have an overall picture of what you wanted? the entire Todd story to be like, or did you kind of go, well, here's this series of 13 episodes we're going to do, and then we'll leave it open for more. Um, you know, is that, how did you approach it? Well, when we were first writing it, like part of our whole pitch package to the broadcaster is that we had, you know, our pilot episode and we had, uh, you know, it's so funny. We, we were in development for so long. Like it was like six years. Um, we just kept writing more and more scripts. So by the time we were shooting the first season, we actually had all 13 scripts already written before we even started shooting. Like we had a, a pilot that we shot and then we, um, after we were greenlit, we had all the scripts already written. Um, and so with that, I mean, we, we kind of knew where we were going for the, the first season. We kind of figured that out and we had threads. We had ideas where we wanted to go in the second, but we didn't really figure out what we wanted the second season to really be about until after, um, we were greenlit for it. And then we sat in a room and, you know, me and Charles and, uh, our, uh, writing, uh, our junior writer, Ian, who's now a, uh, senior, writer out there in the world um we uh we sat down and broke out the whole second season and figured out what we wanted to do with that and then once season two was done and we thought we would be doing a season three we actually broke out seasons three and four because i was thinking man our our cast is not getting any younger (laughs) this is still a high school show and i don't really want to take them out of high school yet so let's do two seasons back to back and pitch that to the network so we actually had like two whole seasons already figured out for the most part. Um, but uh, alas, it was not meant to be. But well, most of that got folded into the uh, animated feature. Well, that's that's kind of odd. I mean, now for me, season two's last four episodes are just outstanding. I think those are some of the, the funniest and best written uh, horror slash comedy slash teen dramas I've ever seen. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I'm particularly, particularly um, fond of, uh, I mean, I love every episode, uh, but I'm particularly fond of um, the, both both season finales, season one and season two, those, um, for me, I mean, partially because I wrote, well, yeah, I mean, I wrote and directed both of them, and like so much of me got in there um, that I was really happy about. But man, I love the second to last episode of season two as well, mm-hmm. where the future, that What's really interesting with those two episodes, the last two episodes of season two, is I think you can really see where Charles comes from and where I come from. Like, I directed both of them, but Charles wrote the second to last one that goes into the future, and I wrote the the, the finale. And, uh, you know, I think really looking at those, you can see where our writing styles differ. But, man, it was, it was so much fun doing those. Yeah. So I got a couple questions for you about those last couple episodes, since those are my hey. favorites. Um, yeah. The musical episode. 
the oh second musical episode. Okay. Yes. Okay, so how come that struck me like a Jim Steinman written meatloaf album? Was it? Or, were you a fan of that style of music? What was your musical inspiration for that? My God. Okay, let me this. Let me try to get back there. Okay, so in season one, we did our musical episode, which mm-hmm. is all frank about them doing a musical. So you know, it was about a musical. They're rehearsing a musical, and then we saw them on stage doing a musical. And so we had a couple of songs in there. Some of it kind of broke the stage thing. Curtis does a little song and dance in the the hallway and stuff. And then when we were starting to do season two. Uh, Charles was like, "Hey, do you think we could do another musical?" And I said. We can, but we're only going to do it if it's wall-to-wall musical, that the entire thing is just song after song after song with no framing device. It just starts off being sung all the way through. And Charles just looked at me like, we can do that? I'm like, we're going to do it. And uh, that was, you know, that and the title were probably my only really two contributions to that episode. <laughs> and it's still, and it's one of my favorite episodes. I, I just being able to give Charles the leeway to just go to town with these songs. And he and our director of that episode, James Ginn, and uh, um, our composer, Sean Pierce, like they, they just really made something and, and, you know, and everybody else on the crew too, especially Mike Marshall, our director of photography, they, they just made some outstanding. And I just remember like I was prepping, um, another episode to direct, uh, while that one was being shot. And so I wasn't on set all the time. And I just remember looking over like whenever, you know, a shot was being set up and I was like, this is going to be amazing. It was just, it just had that vibe to it. It was just going to be so awesome. So, I mean, we were always a big fan of kind of like the big bombastic sort of, you know, metal sort of ballady sort of stuff, especially for for the show. Um, and Charles, I mean, yeah, Charles, Charles had a real meatloaf influence to him for, for all that. I'm glad to know that that was actually there and I didn't just make it up. Oh yeah, no, not at all. I mean, the, um, um, Oh my God! Yeah, like uh, uh, oh man, yeah. There's so much love in all yeah. of that. And yeah. I got I got to let you know too the uh, uh, being horny makes us horny song. <laughs> every every time that plays, my wife just goes, "I can't stand this song." It leaves the room. Oh, it it, it embarrasses her, so it's perfect. Oh, that, that is so good. That's yeah. fantastic. Um, I love the the fuck you i'm not sorry so oh I- oh speaking of which so i, I got to do this real quick um and we're going to come back to the animated episode um okay. i'm going to mess this kid's name up but on reddit in the uh, uh book of pure evil subreddit Dravidin asked me to ask you when the animated movie's coming out but he wanted me to ask it twice and then seeing the uh we're so sorry so sincerely sorry song but my singing voice is terrible, so I'm just going to ask that, and then we'll go back to my, my chain of thoughts. Sorry, I missed something there. Oh, no, no, So um, I said, so I just wanted to get that one out there, and then we'll go back to my original chain of thoughts, and then I'll ask again when it's oh, coming okay. out. Yeah. Okay, so am I supposed to answer when it's coming out right now? Yes, you can do that again, because we should hit that a few times. Okay, we'll hit that a few times. So Todd uh, in The Book of Pure Evil... Uh, the animated feature, The End of the End, will be coming out in theaters in October and looking at the end of October for a like multi-platform um, kind of VOD, SVOD release. Uh, and all of our Indiegogo um, contributors will be getting their 
version copy of the film uh, at the same time as our first premiere, which will be, I'm, I'm going to say, probably the end of August, but please don't hold me to that and send me angry letters. Um, we are trying to get this out as soon as we can. <laughs> okay, so now back to a couple of my questions about the last few episodes. All right. uh, Chris Levins, who played Atticus Murphy Jr., Yes. How much of his comedic genius is the writing and how much of it is his delivery? Oh man, it's it's uh god, it's so hard to say because I figured even, it wouldn't be easy. Even looking back, it's like I where where you know, he's he's just he he's just became that like he yeah, I mean he's amazing. He's mm. just fantastic. Anything that we would do, he would make it better. I think that's the best way way to put it. He would just make it better. He would he would deliver it in some sort of way that we were never expecting. I gotta say, he was like he was serious about his comedy. Like we would sit there and go over every line, every punchline, every inflection. He would work at it, and uh, he would just nail it. And we would all just we just could not like sometimes we would just have to leave set because we were laughing so hard. That guy is is uh, is a gem, and I have no idea why he's not like the most sought after comedic genius in the world. He is amazing. I have no idea. Cause like, um, you know, some of the, some of the people in your show, uh, well, like uh, the kid that plays Todd, I knew him of course from corner gas. Cause I'm one of the few Americans that knows corner gas. All right. Yeah. Um, but, when I watch that show, I am there to see Atticus's, you know, his delivery, his, everything about it. Yeah. Um, and do you guys still make the obey Atticus t-shirt or can anybody still get those? Oh my God. I have no idea. Maybe I don't know okay. if you website. I've become kind of a digital hermit ever since the, gotcha. uh, the show got not renewed as we like to say. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I uh, I don't have Twitter anymore. I'm not on Facebook. I, I hide in my own little bubble, and uh, you know I I really just want to get this movie out. <laughs> no, that's cool. Well, let's go ahead. Well, let's um let's go ahead and wrap up my last couple questions about the show, and we'll talk about the animated feature. Right on. Um, so in the episode that you were talking about, where they travel through, or where um, Todd travels through time. Yeah. What is the incident that happened with? Uh, well, that they won't talk about, so we don't even know who it happened with. <laughs> um, that's that's always the question. Um, yeah, I, I mean, like, if I can give you a secret, we don't actually know what the answer okay. is. Okay, okay, that's fine. But, that's uh, fine. but what I would tell the cast was um, uh, that, ta- that Curtis and Jenny and Hannah had a uh, walnut, and they tried to crack it with Todd's sword. But um, Jenny leaned back too far to get the swing and embedded the sword into Hannah's head and broke the, the blade off. Oh. And and they would all look at me like, are you kidding me? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And I would go, action! And then I would refuse to talk that, to her. That makes perfect sense, actually. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. I think it's funnier if you don't know. And that's actually not like canon. I don't even know if there is canon for this. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, we will never exactly know what the incident is because it is a future that will never come to be. Well, okay. Well, there we go. Yeah, they wiped that future out because he and, came back in time. Yeah. Oh, and then this was my wife's question for you. Uh, Jimmy, the janitor. Was he supposed to be an early version of what Todd could have been, but he didn't? He didn't do it because he got himself locked in the school, or what kind of? What's is, is there more info on him? Yeah, the uh, the idea was was that Jimmy the janitor was basically pegged by the uh, the metal dudes as being a pure evil one, and they used uh, Nikki to you know seduce him to the dark side, um, but. Um, 
but he ended up uh, locking himself in the school in order to keep the, the the metal dudes from from using the book. And so yeah, he's he is basically a, a first version of Todd in a lot of respects. Okay, and that's something that that's something that evolved throughout these series. It's something that we started looking at and going, hey, you know, I think there's something we could piece together here into a greater mythology. And it's interesting, like when you're creating a show, that there's a lot of things that kind of occur to you later on that if you look back, you realize, oh, we've been heading in this direction the whole time. Like we've been seeding a lot of these sort of ideas without really figuring it out ourselves until right now. Yeah, because it definitely seems to, after you know, after you've seen the whole series, it does seem to go in that direction from the beginning. Um, And then as far as the way season two wrapped up, you thought you were getting a season three and maybe four. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we were hoping. Yeah, we were well, hoping. yeah, but I mean, you you had every intention of coming back. Do you know why it didn't happen? Well, we didn't have the greatest ratings. Okay. We got, got, I got to say that we had. Um, I mean, Space in Canada was an amazing broadcaster. They were fully supportive of us creatively. They're right on board. They were amazing to work with. We got really, really great feedback from Rebecca to, uh, from Rebecca de Pasquale, our executive at space. It was a fantastic relationship. Um, but I think on the whole, the audience for space just really wasn't into like a half hour teen horror comedy for adults. Like it just was a little too out there, um, outside of the box for them. Um, and, uh, and so we had wildly, wildly eccentric ratings like we would have um like like you know the viewership in canada is pretty small but we would have like um a a really small viewership for like a premiere episode at 9 p.m and then it would be 10 times that on a 1 a.m repeat but then the next 1 a.m repeat would be like half of what the broadcast was like the original broadcast was so it was like always different numbers never consistent and uh they just weren't strong enough numbers to to stay on Wow. Uh, well, that would explain that. Um, yeah. So how how long after you found out you weren't coming back did you decide? Uh, how long after you found out you weren't coming back did you decide to try an animated series? Oh man. Okay. So after we weren't coming back, we had like these two seasons all all plotted out. Uh, and by all plotted out, it's not like we had every episode worked out. We just had the overall arc of what would happen in each season. And so we still had our A stories, and we had a lot of really great ideas. We didn't know exactly how they were all going to play out, but we, we were really excited about them. Um, so we had this this big arc, and I really wanted to finish the story of, of Hannah being a clone. Like, we had started that, and I really wanted to, to finish that off. Um, we had a really great direction for that to go in. And so I was really determined to find a way to at least finish off that side of the story. And so we uh, we pitched <laughs> we, we pitched it as a web series. We pitched it as a TV movie. Uh, we kept pitching different things. But um, Space was part of this uh, conglomerate called Bell CTV, so many different from people were buying each other out basically they just wanted to clear house like they really weren't interested in closing off the series they were like we're done we're moving on uh rebecca was really supportive she really wanted to help us out but the powers that be were just like no we're we're no longer in the todd game and so um that's one of the reasons why it took so long for us to get the animated feature off the ground i mean like we were pitching different versions of it we really wanted to do a live action version of it 
Um, at one point, we were toying with the idea of doing a Christmas special mm-hmm. that was kind of like inspired by the Star Wars Christmas special, where it would be uh, it was going to be a talk show, and it would be Atticus uh, Murphy having his own talk show, uh, and um, Elliot Everwood would be his kind of Ed McMahon. And then they would bring on Todd and Jenny and Curtis as Todd and Jenny and Curtis talking about what life was like after the TV show. So it was going to be like kind of very Andy Kaufman meta sort of stuff. We were going to have some song and dance numbers. It was going to be kind of a Jerry Springer thing where like we would have Hannah clone behind the scenes. Like, like she's just off stage. We're going to bring her on stage and show what, what's the, the reaction of Todd and Jenny and Curtis. Um, oh, we were going to have Todd and Curtis being in character, but Jenny would be Maggie Castle, the actress, and she would be like totally pissed that everybody was like in character and she wasn't. Uh, we had like all these ideas. It was going to be super fun, but that ultimately kind of brilliant in a way. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. some ways, like we really wish we could have done that, but, uh, yeah, that one would have, we wouldn't have gotten financed either. Um, so long story short. When we were doing Todd in the Book of Pre-Evil Season 2, um, Jason Mewes was doing his um, his animated feature with Kevin Smith, um, uh, the Groovy movie, the Bill, uh, Jay and Silent Bob Groovy movie, and he did it for, like, super cheap. And uh, we were like, hey, why don't we do something like that? And so we, we looked into it and thought, hey, for everything that we want to do, it would be astronomical from a feature film, live action feature film perspective, but maybe we could do it animated. And that's kind of got the gears going there. And we were really thinking we are going to do something like really, really rough, like super, super, super almost stick figure-y. Um, but, you know, we got enough money from Indiegogo and some other sources that we thought, hey, maybe we can actually, you know, do something that's really, really cool with it. And uh, that just took forever to close the financing. It just took so long to like get all the contracts worked out and get like in that world of financing where you have all the money, but you can't, you only get it on delivery. So the bank has to give you a loan based on all of the contracts that you have. It just took forever to get that done. Yeah. So um, it wouldn't surprise you to know that there's a little animosity towards you guys, the amount of time it's taken to get this together. Um, I, I live in a bubble. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm in hiding basically I uh, I'm so excited about the film I think um, I think it's really great we put a lot of really hard work into it Um, it's far far exceeded our expectations Uh, the animators have really really captured just every nuance of the characters they've really brought it to life Um, my co-director Rich Duhaney who um, works uh, with Smiley Guy has just like I don't even think he's slept for the last four months. He's trying to get this thing done. He's put every ounce of his life into it, and it's just really, really staggeringly exciting. And um, I just hope people will enjoy it as much as we do. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, you definitely still have a fan base out there. Um, And this leads to a question. Uh, Jeff from Chico, California, asked me to ask you, is Todd in the Book of Pure Evil in, you know, whatever, if it's the TV show and the movie or whatever version, ever going to be released on Blu-ray or are they going to come back out on streaming platforms in the States? Uh, you probably don't know, but if you've heard anything, if you could let me know, that'd be great. Well, definitely the animated film will be coming out in a Blu-ray. Um, we talked about that with our distributor, Raven Banner, here. Um, the rights for the TV show are a little complicated, and we're trying to work that out. My dream is to actually do a Blu-ray box set where we can do both um, first, second season, and the animated series all together as one big thing. Okay. I got, and we're working towards trying to see how we can get that done. Um, we're also 
trying, and I'm saying trying here um, because it is complicated because there are always so many different people involved in making a show, like getting it financed. But we're working really hard to get both seasons on some sort of a streaming platform that people can see before the feature comes out again. So. Okay. That, that they'll be out there and easily available for people to uh, to binge watch again before the movie comes out. Oh, that'd be great. Because um, like I said, that's how I discovered it was uh, on Netflix. Yeah, you know, it's um, most of our fans really found it on Netflix. And, uh, you know, I really wish we were able to, um, you know, capitalize on that when we were still making the show. I think it would have been a different story. We would be, you know, possibly making season six right oh. now. Well, that leads to the, to the next question. Do you think there's any, after you're done with the feature, is there any life left in new uh, new things for Todd and the Book of Pure Evil after that, do you think? Well, we'll see. We'll see how okay. people react to the animated feature, but we have been talking about maybe an animated show. Um, it's, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're all getting on in years there. So, uh, you know, we've been talking about maybe like, hey, it's uh, Todd revisited 10 years later. Uh, and like they're all working at a mall or something. But uh, we've, we've got some ideas. That's so, cool. We'll see where it all goes. Yeah, well, you saw that that's what Corner Gas is doing, right? They're doing a new series, but it's all animated. Well, which is funny because it's actually being done by the same company that's doing the Todd animated feature. So they're, they've become the premier Canadian animator oh. of, of revisiting old Canadian comedy. That's actually pretty awesome. A couple, years, a couple cool. years ago, my wife and I met Kevin Smith and uh, Jason Mewes. Awesome. And we got our, you know, we did one of those things at the convention where we got our pictures taken with them, and I said, and I, I had my arm around Kevin Smith. I said, hey, I got a question. He goes, yeah. And I said, no, it's for Jay. I said, have you heard anything about Todd and the Book of Pure Evil's animated show yet? And he's like, no, not yet. So then Kevin Smith looks sad. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we're, yeah, it's, uh, it's coming along. You know, it's been fun. It's been a really long process, and it's so weird because we recorded all of the actors, I guess, three, almost three, it's just over three years ago now. And it's weird to be watching cuts of the animated film and seeing like the lips move to the words that were uttered three years ago. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, like it's just this weird time compression that happens. And uh, I think animators are used to it because, you know, it's always a long process, but I I'm a live action guy. This it's been long. It's been a long process. Well, that was actually going to be my last question. So how prepared were you with your filmmaking background for an animated or for an animated feature? How much, how much oddball stuff hit you? And, well, you know, it's funny because, I mean, I think you, you go into it in the, the business, you know, knowing pretty much how things are going to go, um, you know, and it's, 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 it just takes a long time. And it's, it makes sense because, you know, you're, you're really creating every shot from scratch. And um, it's, it's a real different process than doing something live action. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it, was a, it was a learning curve. But, um, you know, we had really, really, I mean, the, the, the studio Smiley Guy was just fantastic, is fantastic to work with. And, and my co-director, Rich, is just amazing. And he's, he's really the glue that's kept this whole thing together throughout the last, uh, last year and a half since oh, we really, really started getting into the animation in, in full force. Well, that's awesome. Um, so here is the last question to close on. Uh, Nor Norwegian or Swedish metal? Which one do you prefer? Oh, okay. So from uh, from a purely musical standpoint, um, I'm a I'm a Swedish melodic death metal guy. Like okay. the Gutenberg sound, like totally. Like um, Haunted, uh, At the Gates, uh, In Flames. Like that's 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 my world. That's that's what I love. But from an aesthetic point of view. 
man, man, the Norwegians are crazy balls, man. Like if this was a Skype video, you could see my uh, my true Norwegian black metal book. I've got the the giant book with um, the guy covered in blood and the spikes and the upside down cross and the corpse paint. Like aesthetically, you cannot beat the Norwegians. The Norway true Norwegian black metal, absolutely fascinating. That's Total scary motherfuckers. Holy yeah, shit, that's Great. outstanding. Yeah, well, I get the feeling that like you know the Swedish metalheads. Man, they're 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 all about being really technical and writing really great riffs, and I totally love that music. But man, the Norwegians are out out like covered in blood and pig heads and burning down churches and all that craziness. No, you, you got to have a blow off valve of some kind, right? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I got three kids now. If I manage to sneak in a beer at the end of the night and fall asleep, I consider that's a good that's a good one. Yeah, but you know what? Consider how much cheaper it is to get a buzz when it just takes one beer. Yeah, true, yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it only takes like, um, only takes like a couple of of mornings with a hangover with a with a baby to realize that that's just not worth it. It's yeah, that'll that'll absolutely. clean you up pretty quick. Absolutely. <laughs> right on. Well, Craig, thank you very much again. Real quick here, um, I know you're kind of a uh, a luddite, but do you know the websites or anything where people can find info about Todd and the animated series when it comes out? The absolute best place to find out about the animated series or the uh, the animated feature when it comes out is on Facebook, on the uh, the Todd page on Facebook and um, the, our, our Twitter. And, oh, my God, I really should know what these are. My wife, who's a producer on the series, is going to total fucking kill me because I don't know. I, she's going to give me some media training after this. But check Facebook. Check Twitter. Um, all the all the news will be out there, and we are working on it. It is real. This is not vaporware. It is happening. It will be out. It will be out soon. <laughs> <laughs> Please believe me. We. It's not like we were like, hey, you know, wouldn't it be funny if we just took years to do this? Wouldn't that be a really funny joke? Like, we really didn't intend for it to take this long. It's just, it's taken a long time. Maybe the the sex pistols of uh, animated films. Yeah, totally. Um, and I, I cannot stress how much um, that we uh, we love this film and we love our fans and we're so happy that we were able to do this as possibly a closing chapter on the saga of Todd or perhaps the start of a new chapter. But um, we've got jokes. We've got lots of dick jokes. We've got lots of blood. We have lots of dismemberment. And we've got three new songs that we're very excited about. That, so That sounds awesome to me. So excited. Yeah. So, All right, guys. You can catch us at GeekishCast.com or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash GeekishCast. I tweet from at the GeekishCast. Craig, thank you again for coming on. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And everybody else, don't be a shit rooster. Geekish Cast is a Vias and Victor production and is part of the Astro Panda Productions Network. You can find us now on SoundCloud and on Blog Talk Radio. Our theme music is taken from the song Out to Get Mine by Reign of Zeus. Check them out at reignofzeus.net.